Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Strategist, and I'm joined today by our Global Rate Specialists, Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy, Blake Gwynn, Head of US Rate Strategy, and Theo Chapsalis, Head of UK Rate Strategy. Hi everyone, welcome back to another Bondcast. Um, a busy week this week, I'd say focused on supply in, in quite a lot of ways. We've had a lot of supply again in Europe. Um, the supply events in the US have been big drivers of, of market moves over the past few days uh, and also in the UK as well. Um, so before we get stuck into that, maybe I'll go to you first, Giles, because um, it's a big week, I guess, next week in that we finally have, well, something exciting on the calendar to talk about in that the ECB meeting. Um, before then, you know, it, I guess in the face of, of the a couple of big supply weeks now, we've had um, finally a, a bigger week of purchases from the ECB in this kind of period of significantly higher purchase pace. Um, what did you make of those numbers this week? Yeah, as you say, it's the first week that they've really looked significantly larger than what we had before. I mean, I think we're all scratching our heads kind of going, well, what does significant really mean for the ECB? And I think obviously one of the the questions was, okay, so maybe there's a, a reaction function we need to Kind of tease out over time about what the ECB is really doing here, um, about you know, trying to defend fi- financial conditions and so on. And you know, we've talked a lot about those in in recent pod- uh, podcasts. Um, you know, financial conditions actually look pretty okay, which means maybe the ECB actually doesn't really need to do as much as all that. Last week, they you know they met really quite heavy supply. Um, you know, I guess associated with you know, coming back from the holidays, the start of the new quarter, and so on, with you know, a pretty decent amount of amount of buying. I mean, it, you know, it was only four days. If you gross it up, I'm not sure if you're supposed to do this. If you gross it up to to five days, I mean, it was head and shoulders above anything they'd done previously. But I mean, bottom line, they probably bought about half of the duration which came to the market from um, for, from governments last week, and I imagine they've probably done similar this week. So, you know, the upshot was. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always difficult to know what the counterfactual and it really is. But, you know, we had quite a strong week in US fixed income and so a bit of a relative concession for European rates. And I, you know, I would expect that the ECB you know, was probably, you know, well, I think it was a significant part of that. You know. So they're just doing what they're doing. They're you know, dampening down volatility, acting as a bit of a, a buffer, a cushion, if you like, between you know, supply and, uh, and the market. Okay, so we have this meeting next week, and I guess one thing we sort of learned really about the reaction function at the last meeting and reiterated in the minutes was that they've taken a sort of quarterly view, I would say, for for monetary policy. Uh, we obviously had the beginning of March meeting where they reset purchases at this significantly higher pace. So does that mean that next week we can just expect to be um, a bit of a placeholder meeting, or is there anything kind of interesting that you're expecting from next week? So I think that the focus for everyone is going to be the extent to which they are open to maybe stopping this three-month surge after after June. And you know, I, I expect that they'll probably just duck it by saying, well, you know, it's all contingent on the strength of the 
recovery and the progress that we're making on vaccinations and so on. We'll make the decision in June and we'll tell you, you know, we're not going to pre-commit or anything like that. Fine. Okay. I mean, you know, that's, I think, fairly foreseeable, but there'll be lots of questions on it nonetheless. And I think that that's really, so, so I, th I think for me, what's interesting about the, the meeting is not so much what we expect to really be told, but just that it sort of serves as a decision point perhaps for, for people. Um, now we're halfway through now this three month kind of surge in, in, um, in, in asset purchases. And, you know, I think that people will be thinking about, well, okay, fine. I didn't want to fight the ECB, but I don't want to wait till the last minute before I put on trades that are effectively fighting them. <laughs> so, you know, now that they've, you know, now that we're halfway through and we've just had all this messaging and you know, that's, I guess, a, a risk event out of the way, you know, how do I feel about maybe having a go at that? And so, you know, for us, and you know, you've heard again and again from, uh, in, in, the, in the last few weeks, you know, we are, you know, we have this sort of by, you know, bullish bias, I suppose, um, you know, relatively weak conviction, really just looking for the right timing to go with the, you know, this long-term more bearish theme. And you know, we'll certainly be part of the contingent who are looking um, at you know, that sort of post-ECB, you know, sort of day, days, weeks to, to, to pull the trigger on that. I think, I can't remember if we said it last week or perhaps it was just in John's weekly thematic review this week, but I think he called us hibernating bears, which <laughs> um, felt like the right assessment. So I guess we'll, we'll be looking for that as, as a potential turning point in, in this kind of near term, uh, more bullish view. The final thing I just wanted to ask, and I feel like we almost talk about this every week or, or recently have been talking about it every week on the podcast, but it seems to be, a, you know, a, in the headlines and has everyone's attention um, is on the vaccine story. So obviously this week at the time of recording it, we've had Johnson and Johnson uh, being temporarily uh, halted in the US uh, and now delayed uh, for rollout in the EU. We were expecting uh, doses to be delivered in, in April in the EU, but, but that's been sort of temporarily delayed. Um, how are you thinking about that in terms of our kind of recovery assumptions for the latter half of this year? Does this matter? Um, is this important? Um, can you just update on that, I suppose? Listen, I mean, you know, it's almost deja vu, really. And I, I think we'll probably find a way to you know, get those Johnson Johnson vaccines, you know, those doses into people's arms, you know, one way or another. I mean, maybe they're not, you know, maybe you have to think about different cohorts and so on but no I, I expect that they will uh, find their way into the market to be honest with you no it doesn't really change anything and actually you know on the other hand I, I think we also had the news that Pfizer is going to be making another 50 million uh, doses available in the second quarter so that kind of you know, it's, it's a bit of a wash even if you if you consider that you know, perhaps there's a risk that Johnson Johnson doesn't get out in the first, the, the second quarter, which I think, as I say, is wrong. So I still think that we're you know, talking about you know, this improvement in in COVID trends that we're already seeing now. I mean, infection trends are are, are turning over again in all those you know, most worrying countries in in Europe, and I'm really optimistic that this is the definitive, you know downtrend <laughs> and that we you know that, that, that it'll all be better from here so no, let's hope that that tracks 
I like your optimism. <laughs> we'll stick with that. Okay, so while we're on the subject of vaccines then, Blake, I'll go over to you because I guess, um, well, it was the US that kind of kick-started this, this trend on the uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Um, are you, A, concerned about that, I guess, from a recovery perspective, or do you really kind of share the same views as Giles that, you know, it's not a huge share of overall supply and ultimately this is probably more of a delay than, you know, a short delay than anything else? Um, and I guess while we're on the subject, perhaps we can just talk a bit about Bullard's comments earlier this week as well. And he said about, um, you know, a taper can begin once 75% of uh, the population have been vaccinated because the US is clearly a little bit further ahead in its vaccination campaign than Europe is. So that 75% number isn't that far away. Yeah, I, I very much shared um you know, Giles' view on this. I, I don't. I'm. I don't think it's a major um, delay. I mean, they've been very clear to say that this is just a very temporary overabundance of caution um, to kind of check things out. I, I don't think it impacts the, you know, the the broader trajectory that much. Um, I, I also think, you know, one of the, one of the the topics that kind of sprung up after that delay was, you know, how it would affect people's willingness to take it. And I think it's only really going to be a marginal. I mean, you know, the, the views on whether or not. Um, to, to take the vaccine are very personal and very, um, you know, come with, uh, um, you know, very strongly held convictions in one in, in either direction. I don't think this alone, uh, you know, really moves the needle all that much, um, or at least not to the point where we'd be, you know, working it into to anything on the economic or market side. So, so largely a non-issue for us, um, but obviously merits watching. Um, on the Bullard comments, um, yes, he, he, Gave this kind of uh, a 75, 80% level of vaccination rates. Um, but I, I, I would want to highlight, you know, kind of the context with which he said it. Um, you know, he didn't, importantly to me, say that in prepared remarks or, um, you know, it didn't seem like that was some kind of um, level that he had been thinking very hard about uh, uh, prior, to, prior to his comments. It really came in the context of a, uh, of a question and answer session, he said that, um, you know, one of the, the kind of preconditions to altering policy, one of the things that he would like to see is for us to be at the quote, end of the tunnel uh, uh, on the pandemic. And then, you know, he, he was kind of pushed on a follow up of what did he mean by out of the tunnel? And that's where he kind of pulled this 70 to 80% level for vaccination. So, you know, he, he wasn't really setting this up as a as a test or a threshold or a trigger. Um, you know, I think it was just his general sense of, of a level that he thought would be consistent with uh, being at the end of the tunnel. And again, I mean, I think that would be, um, you know, kind of one precondition, but it would not be a trigger. I mean, we'd still primarily, be, the Fed would still primarily be looking at, um, you know, the labor markets and inflation data, um, you know, it, it, the reaching that kind of 70 to 80% level or 75%, I think is what people picked up on. Um, you, you know, that's not something that would automatically trigger a, a taper or, or even a taper conversation. So um, just to kind of put that into context, and, and also I would note that it doesn't really change our timeline. Um, you know, if you kind of look at the trajectory of where we're at, we're, um, you, you know, somewhere around Called 25% vaccination rate right now. If if you look at that 75% level, that probably puts us somewhere towards the end of the summer. Um, you know, that's kind of when we expected the taper conversation to really pick up, anyways. So it, it doesn't have a big, um, you know, it doesn't have a big impact on how we're thinking about the the timing and and the rollout of of the next steps for monetary policy. Okay, I mean, just going back to what you were saying, um, 
about Johnson and Johnson and not really changing your view either. I would just kind of reiterate that the evidence that we've seen in Europe from the AstraZeneca fallout is exactly as you suggest, like it hasn't really changed um, the kind of pace of, of the rollout after it was then, um, you know, brought back into play again. It, it didn't change the pace, even in those countries where, you know, evidence suggested that they no longer trusted the vaccine, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I would agree with you there. Okay, so um, away from vaccines then, <laughs> let's move on from that for this week. Um, we also had, you know, last week we spoke about the strong data in the US, we'd had that big NFP number, uh, and this week we've had another big beat on the inflation side, but markets just aren't really reacting, I, I think, how you might have expected them to, to those to two kind of big numbers like that, say, six months ago. How, what do you make of that? Yeah, markets seem really comfortable right now, trading sideways. I mean, it, it does seem like we're getting comfortable in this range. We've got tens in the kind of, let's call it uh, uh, 160, 175 range. Um, you know, it, it, it does seem as if the reflation trade where kind of everything moved higher, that's clearly, we, we moved on from that. Um, you know, it, it almost seems like the positive data we've, we've uh, received the last few weeks is really, it, it must just be delivery on those expectations that were priced in so aggressively in Q1, um, you know, because as you said, the markets have basically glanced through it. I mean, we had an absolutely blockbuster reading on employment and, and a very good inflation reading. I mean, if that had occurred a month ago, you would have expected rates to, to soar. And, and instead, you know, we, we've actually rallied a bit. So uh, markets really kind of shrugging off that data, I think getting comfortable with this range. And to be honest, I think it's something that probably is going to hold for at least a little while. Um, you know, as I said, I think the data, even if it delivers well, um, is largely just confirming what's already been priced in rather than being kind of, um, you know, leading to any kind of renewed push on that reflation theme. Um, I think the Fed is, has, you know, brushed off any attempt to kind of write a story around them. Um, you know, that goes all the way back to December where everybody was talking about how they had to do WAM extension and they needed to provide more accommodation. They said, no, we're not doing it. We get to this year. Um, you know, it, it was all about they're going to have to push back against rising yields. Um, they've pushed that story aside. I mean, they've really just stayed the course all the way through. And every time the markets try to move in one direction or the other, even more accommodative or less accommodative, um, you know, early taper, move on QE or later, it, it, they just kind of brush it off. I think they're very comfortable with where they're at right now. I think they're probably going to stay, um, you know, stay at this kind of status quo for at least a couple of months. Um, and, and, you know, if we do get some shifts in communication, it'll, it'll largely be on the margins. Um, you know, maybe some of the more hawkish members start talking about talking about taper later this year or something, but, but really I don't expect, um, you know, a lot out of the fed. And, and as I said, the data is just going to confirm what we, what we've already essentially priced in. So I see this range holding for at least a little while. Okay, and just lastly on the Fed then, because you said, you know, there's not a huge amount to talk about, but one of the things we were talking about at the end of last week, um, triggered by um, Laurie Logan's speech, was about um, kind of adjusting their purchase buckets, which I know isn't a kind of monetary policy action. You know, it's not like this WAM extension that you were mentioning, um, and you thought that that might be announced at the, in the schedule that was released yesterday, uh, it's Thursday today, yes, Wednesday, sorry, this week. Um, do you, are you still expecting that, given that it wasn't announced in, in the um, schedule on Wednesday, are you still expecting adjustments on that front um, or not? Is that kind of taken off the table now? Yeah, it, 
Well, it's kind of interesting. So, and, and also just for context for some of the listeners who might not recognize recognize the name Lori Logan, she is the um, she manages the Fed's portfolio at the New York Fed. So, very important Fed figure. Um, and when it gets to the mechanics of the purchases, um, I think that the way those tend to work is that the New York Fed really manages kind of the minutia of these purchases. You know, the the, the FOMC, the um, uh, the Fed writ large is going to determine kind of the stance of policy, determine kind of the big picture on those purchases. But as far as the mechanical day-to-day operations, that's really going to fall more to the New York Fed and in turn, Lori Logan. So when she says something like this, you know, that's a very, very strong indication that that this is something they're thinking about. So it all kind of sparked off with her um, saying last week that they may adjust some of the purchase buckets to more accurately reflect um, you know, changes in the treasury space that's occurred. One of the big ones, obviously, they they rolled out QE program before the 20-year uh, benchmark even existed. Um, you know, we had the inaugural issue of the 20-year in May after they'd already started buying security. So the way they've kind of structured this, this um, you know, the purchase buckets and everything may not match up to the current path of issuance and outstanding. So she was just saying we could adjust that. Um, you know, we, we may make adjustments to that. Um, I, so one thing that I found kind of interesting about that is that, um, it, you know, that there's been increased talk that, you know, maybe even as early as June, the, the Fed really starts to shift into this talk about a taper of the asset purchase program. It seems very weird to be making adjustments to an, a purchase program that you just plan on winding down in, in a couple months. Um, so, so that was kind of weird. It does suggest that, you know, that this program might actually last for, for a little bit longer than people expect if, the, if they're, you know, feel the need to, to, to make these kind of adjustments. Um, also, I think really key in there is not only did she call out 20 year, but she also mentioned tips. They've been buying an abnormal, uh, an abnormally large share of tips relative to nominals when you look at kind of outstanding, when you look at issuance. So um, they've providing, been providing more support for tips than they have for nominals. And I think um, you know, that's been a big factor in, in, in the run-up and in, in break-evens and the strength in tips over the last, um, you know, it's called six months. Um, you know, we, we talk all the time about the reflation, um, you know, the reflation theme, which absolutely was a part of it. But it, the Fed's also been supporting tips uh, uh, more than they have nominals. So if they were to adjust that and pull back on tips, a big deal. So markets really kind of took this and ran with it. Um, they changed the schedule. They released the next schedule uh, yesterday as we're recording this. Um, so that was Tuesday of this week. No changes, zero changes. So um, as quickly as the fervor around those comments kind of built up and everybody started expecting some changes, it kind of died down. I think it's still a live issue. Um, you know, maybe it was just too soon to put into this. Uh, maybe it was just too soon for the schedule release and it's something that may come next month. Um, but still, I think something that markets are going to be focused on going forward. I, I don't think that this just goes away. The fact that Lori Logan mentioned it, you know, is a, is a strong sign that, that, that this is something they're thinking about. Okay. And fun fact I learned about Laurie Logan today, just to add into the pod, is that she used to be Blake's boss in his former life at the Fed. So <laughs> there we go. little fun fact for everyone. Um, so Theo, before we uh, move over to the UK, um, do you want to just add anything on that front around tips? Because I, I know that's something that, that you look at quite closely. Yeah, I think this is uh, this is a very important signaling. So, uh, first of all, the market, the tips market, does trade expensive, in different uh, strategy pieces and different analysis that um, have been published by, for example, the BAS uh, and the work that uh, we've done in general. We estimate that because of it buying, there's been a premium baked into break events, which is fairly significant. We talk about. 
30, my estimates are in the area of 35 basis points. The BIS piece, for example, did reference something in the area of 50 basis points. So buying of tips and the way and that this works, this is very important in terms of um, support for the reflationary narrative. Now, to the extent that less tips are bought, obviously you should expect that to have an implication across break-evens, but also front-end break-evens, because this is a part of the curve in the US that gets very much bought um, by the Fed. And the other point is that that is a part where you have significant illiquidity. And basically, Fed buying absorbs any liquidity that you have in the market. So this is how you realize that you have proper support stock that otherwise would less likely be bought, now is bought because you have one additional marginal buyer, which is the Fed. So that stock can trade uh, more expensive. So that, that's, uh, that's my quick comment on tips. Thank you. Sounds like a theme that I'm sure we will return to then in, in the coming weeks or, or months, perhaps. So let's talk about the UK then quickly, Theo. We had um, uh, quite strong data, I guess, on, on the GDP front out of the UK this week. Um, how does that fit with your narrative of uh, still being bearish, still targeting that 1%? Is this kind of in line with our quarterly forecast as we were expecting? Um, um, I'm guessing, well, I know you haven't changed that forecast, but um, for our listeners, if you could just update them on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the, the important part here is that um, we have a very encouraging, a very nice story, and it is that of the recovery. Now, the numbers may be a bit different to what uh, the consensus had been expecting. Uh, month on month, expectations were for 0.5. We got 0.4. Uh, are we still below growth levels pre-pandemic? Yes, we are. Uh, we talk about, so we're around um, 8% below those levels. So yes, of course, uh, there has been, there is some damage still being felt, but let's not forget that, well, uh, we are not back to normal and there is clearly a way to go and we are supposed to be forward looking. Well, that's what we hope so. So uh, are we uh, happy with a bearish view? Yes, we are, absolutely. Uh, so uh, the fundamental story is very positive on the inflation side. Uh, we feel that inflation in the UK will be felt uh, and there is a rise in numbers. We've seen that uh, that rise in inflation being felt in the US. Well, to some extent, this will also be felt in the UK. So the bearish narrative is alive and kicking. Um, and the UK government is very happy to issue debt. So if you add all those points together, um, well, ample supply of government debt. And if you have better places to uh, invest your money, then I guess the fixed income market will have to cheapen. So 1% it is for 10-year yields. Perhaps you can just talk about that kind of willingness of the government to, to issue debt a little bit more, because this week's been um, a big week. Well, I mentioned it at the beginning that it was kind of a big week globally, I guess, for supply, but but the UK played its part in that. And we had long-end uh, linker and conventional auctions this week. So how was that digested by the market? And, and um, you know, is there still... For, for that debt at, at these yield levels? Actually, uh, both auctions were fairly weak. Uh, and uh, we had only two auctions. The norm uh, used to be three auctions. So we had this week, we had two big long-end auctions, the longest conventional bond. And uh, let's say one of the longest linkers, I would say, the, uh, you know, definitely uh, the, the, the longest recent linker. So the, the, the linker 51s. Supply has been uh, absorbed at a discount, uh, judging by the price action of today, we can see that indeed 
um, you know, there is pressure in the market and we can see a pretty aggressive steepening of the curve, um, everything 230s uh, steepening pretty much because of that supply overhang. So this definitely has got an implication. Uh, do we think that it will matter uh, going forward? Absolutely. And this, this, is, this is the other point. Because we've mentioned that, we've mentioned issuance, and then we've mentioned, obviously, uh, you know, the, the the big theme, which is the syndication that we expect to happen on the 27th, right? Um, and the test, and this, the, what we had this week, it was a test. Well, it shows that, yes, supply will be absorbed, but the price need to be right, which means that yields need to rise, curves need to steepen, and to the extent that, you know, there is not too eager support from some of the, you know, real money and, and, and pension investors, then you will have a proper bear steepening of the curve. So uh, stay bearish uh, and um, tense and, and, and do expect, especially uh, the linking market to cheapen. That sounds like the perfect place to wrap it up here for this week. So we'll, we'll stay bearish in the UK and we'll look out for that um, syndication in a couple of weeks time. I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, again before it happens. All right. Thank you everyone for joining this week and we'll catch up next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bondcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to get future episodes and like it as this will help others to find it. We also encourage you to follow us on social media to get all our latest content. Speak to you again soon.